Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organization sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others, and the planet. And I'm your host, Brad Jevons, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. We are proudly brought to you in association with SA Partners, a world-leading business transformation consultancy. SA Partners are a truly purposeful company focused on helping organisations achieve sustainable improvement for themselves, others and the planet. Welcome to this episode 62 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. It is such a pleasure to have Dr. Gwendolyn Gelsworth back on the show with us today. Gwendolyn is a leader in visual workplace, a best-selling author and legend in enterprise and operational excellence. Gwendolyn spoke to us in our last episode, number 61. I encourage you to listen to this episode before this one if you haven't already. In a nutshell, we spoke about two questions for both the frontline and supervisors to ask themselves. What do I need to know? And secondly, what do I need to share? Today, we speak about the connection between the operators and senior leadership. Can the passion in the frontline created from a visual workplace be reciprocated at the executive level? Let's get into the episode. Gwendolyn, thank you so much for joining us again. It's entirely a pleasure, truly so. Gwendolyn, with the senior leadership, what's the key part there again? How does that connect in with them, especially from the vision and the strategic point of view to help keep that focus and get that alignment? Do you mean the uh, the connection between the operator and the executive? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. It's such an interesting question. And I, I have to say that I'm not prepared with an easy answer, except to say, you know, some kind of um, cute phrasing or su- uh, summation. The connection is that if the operators are doing their job through creating a visual workplace, through methodology, step-by-step, systematically, they have criteria for knowing whether they are, let's say, for an example, at red or yellow or green, they know exactly that. They know what they're striving for, and they know how to do it. What is the corollary for the executive? What kind of systematic performance and what kind of visual expression from the executive would help cement that function of the organization? Because that's a function. The executive branch is a function. It has jobs to do. It has vision and values and beliefs and strategy and metrics and methodologies. It's in charge of the thinking of the organization. It's in charge of the paradigm of of change. It's in charge of that. And if it doesn't have a crystal clear concept, if it can't work through that, if it can't work through the decision-making that would allow them to say yes to the few, only that which I can resource. I have limited resource, therefore I have to have limited goals. I can be visionary about five years out, but this year we're going to put our resources in these applications. If I don't do a good job there, then I am going to get caught in marketing and sales and in, in, in unnameable activities. I have a job to do. What is that job? What do I want it to be? And how can I vigorously contribute to it? How can I really bring my vision? What is my vision? 
what is my vision in the face of corporate giving me their vision? How can I redigest that and put that into terms that I can operationalize myself if I'm the site manager executive of this site? So I think that there's, you know, leadership can be sliced in so many different sections and different perspectives. But for me, the centerpiece is leading. And then we have this flower of six. So it's decide. I have it. Actually, I, I, I printed this out because I thought we were going to put this as supervisor down here. And so I'm going to just read this off so that I'm not going to stumble. It's to decide and then to align people to that decision and then inspire them to go forward. And then they go forward and then you drive. And one of the main questions, and then you drive and I'll just continue, you verify, which is where your metrics come in. And then you determine the next step. What does growth mean for us? What does growth mean for us? The driving part is the part that I think many executives miss because they don't exactly decide, they kind of inherit. Because they don't decide, they don't take the steps of thinking through what do I want. They don't really own it. So when it comes time to activate it, it's very hard to drive it and to drive it with the conviction and the determination that we will solve the problems that come to us and we will move forward. This is the spirit of Churchill. He was the, oh, that tiny stinking little island was the only thing left in Europe that wasn't already consumed by Nazis, by, by the march of Hitler. And if he had not stood strong, for me, he is the quintessential magnificence of what leadership means. He said, we are this and we are not that. I mean, it really was a black and white conflict. It was very easy to see the good and the bad from the point of view of us Westerners, uh, from the West, I should say, from um, the allies. But he stood firm and he was thwarted in not just by Hitler, but by his own incompetence and the incompetence of his troops. We were all new. They were all new to a war in the air. And he, he, but it was that, that internal determination, that I, that got us a win. Believe me, the work that he did with Roosevelt is something that is hidden, but it was a gigantic part of his strategy. And Roosevelt was not cooperating because the entire United States was against the war. He was going to lose the many elections he won if he came out for the war. Yeah. So it's that spirit. It's really it's when the operator says, I can contribute. I want to contribute. I am a master at this machine. I can assemble. I know what quality looks like. I can I can run this radial machine, which is a fairly simple machine that does a, 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 a simple machining process. But when we own the workplace, we own our work. And then the full, the full measure of who we are on the inside comes out. So I happen to have a radio machine to run, but you have an organization to run. There's little difference as long as you do your job well. And, and that's what I love. I love when the spirit that come, begins to blossom in the operator, suddenly the executive says, look at what they're doing down there. I can see them from my office. What can I do up here 
that has the same determination, the same quality of yes, the same inventiveness and the same willingness to take a risk and be measured and say thank you. You see, it's a it's an organic whole. And these great organizations, I'm again thinking of um, <laughs> what is name just and uh, uh, Freudenberg again, okay. Oh, damn. Joe Case, oh, is the guy I talked to you about the last time. I don't know why his name just went poof, but it did. But he was, you know, he was a, a monster of love. He just loved what he did. Jobs did too. It was a little bit shaky on the around the edges. But, mm. the, you know, the great leaders, we are given this resource to do something with it. We will not all become saints. Some people attain to be a saint. I want to be a saint before I die. Good luck, Charlie. (laughs) But we have this tremendous power within. And for me, that is what is even beneath the flow in visuality and what calls me to the field. That visuality is an incredible mechanism for calling people forth and giving them very concrete tasks that they can put into their own language so the workplace speaks in a voice that they recognize because it's it's their own. And that's what happens on the executive level. Yeah. When we use we use these templates of thinking and we squeeze into it. Let's have a whole session on 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 X type matrix, you know, and I'll I'll pull, yeah. pull out my flip charts and things about the discipline of that form for the executive leader that requires the leader to make it all balance before he publishes it, before she shares it with her team. Yeah. So I'm going on a little bit. I'm getting a little bit worked up. But I I love the topic, Gwendolyn, because what I'm hearing through it is you need to own it. You need to own it, yes. And as a leader to own it, you've got to look at what's coming from above and then define your visuality and your part in that. You know, what's, okay, here's a vision coming from corporate. Okay, well, what's that look like for us mm-hmm. and for me? And for you me need first. To, for mm-hmm. me and then for the organization, how do I need to own it? And then I need to help the leaders below me achieve the same and then get that absolute focus at the front you line. You give them the exact same task and you don't show them your answer. You say, okay, I'm going to do this. We're going to meet in a month and you can talk to one other person. I'll talk to one other person. I want to know how you would solve this. I would want, I want to know what your vision is for next year. And you can't talk to each other. I don't want any consensus. This is not about consensus. This is about identifying something deep inside of you. Yeah. Cause that builds that ownership. Doesn't it? If you've got that ownership and that commitment to it, because I can see in an organization that the moment you've got a weak link in it, if you've got the executive that are really owning it and they own it, and if you don't help each leader below you create theirs and own it, that's the cascade. Well, that, that link mm. is going to break. And ultimately, mm. it's not going to hit the front line where we create value. Or you're going to have an executive who's trying to jump around their middle management and do all the work at the front line, but that's going to become dysfunctional. You know, your remarks are reminding me about how different we are in the West from the Japanese, because the Japanese, that process of owning it is uh, is almost beyond the societal pale, because, in fact, 
because the hierarchy is still so very strong. It's beginning to shake a little bit, but was so very strong during the formative years of the 80s and 90s when we were studying Japan that their approach to yes really resembled obedience and the acceptance of whoever was the uh, the report to figure without needing to own it themselves for them to entirely for the Japanese to entirely commit to that out that output. Then we have the um, the mavericks, the uh, what do they call? It's that word about you breaking you breaking the word escapes me right now. Then we have Shingo and Ono who who completely owned what the company needed. And they had to invent the ways for the company to get there. And that's where they invented the entire production system because it didn't exist before. So there was no obedience. It's just a very interesting, it's very interesting in the West, ownership is a, a dynamic, a, a business practice. And it isn't being socially nice. It isn't about politeness. It's about deeply feeling and understanding. Deeply, deeply examining and asking yourself, what do I want? What do I want? A lot of folks just jump right off the rails. They say, I want to get out of here. You know, I did what you said, boss, and I'm giving you my notice. That's okay. Yeah. Or they've got their head in the sand. They're in the flight mode, not the fight mode. Mm. And they're just just doing my job, you know, and that can happen too. Gwendolyn, there's an interesting topic you mentioned with, um, Shigo Shingo and Teijiano in that they didn't take something off the shelf and try shove it into the organization, did they? They went and learnt and studied and then came back and created their own. They owned it, didn't they? Because it was a Toyota production system. It was their system. Okay, they drew on a lot of different people and a lot of different models, even super. They had the genius sources. to notice. They had the... Ono oh, had the genius to go into a supermarket, the A&P in the United States, and see pull system. He yeah. had the genius to go in there and see pull, and all it was was a supermarket. But it's you a know, great that example. Was a of, gift. Yeah, but it was a great example of ownership, isn't it? Because it is a Toyota production system. It's theirs. They own it. They did it. And I think that's that relates so much to what you're saying. They took the time and effort to really want it and then to own it, what they did. They cared about their people and they cared about Japan as well. Japan was really hurting. It's so complex. You know, I I almost want to say to you, Brad, that we shouldn't become too doctrinaire about even our own wonderful beliefs, you and me, because it may not be a formula that works universally. No. But we have seen, in a way, it's our preference to work that way. In a way, we like the excitement of uh, not knowing and then knowing, not owning and then owning and absorbing and regurgitating. And we like that kind of dramatic uh, commitment. But other people will think that we're mad and they will not be able to identify with what we're saying is anything that they can do. What should we do about that? No, How can I think, we bring them on board? I think that's is largely... They- Gwendolyn, why I set up the podcast is because if if a leader listens and they they take a bit from you, Gwendolyn, they take a bit from Mike Jose, they take a bit from David Mann, they take a bit from Peter Hines, 
you know, mm. they'll, and there's a lot of correlations, you know, there's correlations and there's new, but I guess mm. that's why I set up the podcast is because I knew you can't just go tell someone this stuff and then they're going to do it. But podcasts are such amazing system where leaders and improvement experts can listen to a show every week and take a snippet and take a snippet and gradually form their Toyota production systems. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and then own go it forward. and own it and own it. Yeah. Yeah. Back yeah, to your good. mention of own it. Cause it's so very important. Good. What a great episode. Remember you can go to enterpriseexcellencepodcast.com backslash downloads to get hold of a visual workplace guide. Gwendolyn has kindly provided. Please like subscribe and share this podcast to help others gain insight and create a better future. Gwendolyn, with um, this journey, where would you start? You know, we've covered the front line, we've covered supervisors, we've covered executive. If you, if we, one of our listeners has an organisation and, and it's in the infancy of this type of journey, where would you, you advise them to start? I would first of all be very hesitant to advise until I saw the floor and yeah, got a, a measure, <laughs> got a measure of the man or woman who was asking me and try and try to figure out what is it that they would be willing to begin with that was actually a substantial uh, step forward. Um, That is very important to know the measure of the person you're talking to and hope that they stay in place long enough for step one to be activated. But certainly in 90% of the cases, I would begin with visuality because it prepares the work culture for dramatic changes. Visuality is not a dramatic change. It is, in fact, simply completing the circle. People know they need information and they get it. Oh, good. So it is taking a human need, 50% of human brain function is dedicated to finding and interpreting visual data. There it is. It is completing that need for us to be able to know our environment so we can feel safe and we can be functional in it. Putting that in place and letting people explore that very inventively, very excitedly, and begin to grow the culture. I have found this to be a remedy for plants that are angry, sweaty, uh, harsh, broken in a way, that visuality comes in so simply and provides this satisfying completion that it's a very good place to start when the culture is damaged. When the culture is already high-performing, then you can bring lean in with all its drastic changes. I'm talking about cellular design and a number of other things. And the the organization will absorb that and be able to kind of roll with the punches. So visuality, and then with visuality, where to begin, there's really just two places. You either begin with the executive and he begins, she begins to get clear on the vision and almost simultaneously, maybe three, four weeks later, begin on the shop floor and create stability on the shop floor because the visual wear, which is border addresses and if possible an ID label, the very visual form of ID labels, here it is. (laughs) 
<laughs> going too fast. My mouth is just saying what it wants. Uh, the visual wear is stabilizing only if it is owned, only if the operators decide where things go. So we have this layer. I think that you'll watch the modules very soon. But when you get to the four modules in the middle of the Work That Makes Sense system, it's about smart placement. It is about re-engineering, the operators re-engineering the layout of flow. The machines are already there. The tables are already there. The parts are there and the, and, and, and the die are there. But where can they be situated so that they make sense, so that I can flow amongst them and get my work done? That creates a tremendous cultural shift. I mean, tremendous. And I've seen people who have done 9% of that and gotten a cultural revolution. If they do 90% of it, they get an entirely new workforce and one that's ready for whatever you throw at them because they're satisfied internally and physically they have a, wor a work area that flows, that works for them, that makes sense. I, I wanna make this point in case there's any misunderstanding uh, on the part of the listener. When, an op when we talk about operator-led visuality, we do it by the book for let's say the first three cycles, whether that's 150 people, or 300 people, depending on how you do your training thing, depending on what your maximum size is for that site. And we, we follow the system of letting it be eye driven and letting operators experiment and go through iterations of more and more powerful devices until they get the outcome they want. The first, the second, and third cycle. After that, there's enough stability and there's enough understanding in the workforce, the operators, that this is the way we do business and that our enemy is missing information. So I'm going to find some really micro missing information because the folks who came before me have done the groundwork. They've laid out the visual wear. And now I can look for the next layers, the more the more hidden layers of, of motion caused by information deficits. So it isn't that the operators recreate it to their pleasure every time, not at all, but you allow that to happen as an antidote, an antidote to all the preceding uh, misunderstandings and abuses or harshness or refusals. It gives management a chance to regain confidence in the shop floor and to see that I am you, to, to really smooth out the culture, to see that operators are contributors of an extraordinary level. I wanna say one other thing, which may or may not be off the mark. It was something that you said uh, uh, about 10 minutes ago, and I wanna bring it up. The, the reason that visuality is so culturally transformative and we'll talk on the operator level, but I've seen the same thing for supervisors and CEOs, is that when we get physical answers to those ordinary questions, what am I going to make next? What are the specs? Where are my tools? Which machine do I use? All of that. And it's corollaries in the office. Believe me, it happens in the office. It's just more hidden in the office. When we begin to get control of our corner of the world, something magical happens. 
which is we relax. And when we relax, the space that the tension and the anger or the disassociation used to occupy just disappears. It's no longer needed. I no longer have to defend myself, nor do I have to attack to keep something away. And that creates inside of us a little bit of space. And growth happens in that space. Growth can only happen when there's a little bit of extra space. It can't happen when there's endless stress and a sense of not being in control. So this, this, I'm in control of my corner of the world is the platform on which, from which the operator and also the CEO can then seek a greater vision because there's room inside my head. There's room. Yeah. It's quite, it's formulaic. Yeah. It is predictable. This is what happens repeatedly. And Gwendolyn, with what you're saying there, I'm just thinking of a baseline thing that is so simple throughout my career when my task list has been in control or not. You know, if I've had control of my task list and I've used multiple systems nowadays, I of course run Scrum, but whenever my task list throughout my career has been in control, I felt the weights off my shoulders. I've got this. What And so what you're saying is basically we're creating every, every level of the organization where they don't have to store stuff in their brain or stress and fret about things. What I need to know is just yes. there. What I need to share is just this. It's a system. Yes. And that pressure goes away. Now I've got headspace to do more improvement because I'm not just fighting fires. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. You said it perfectly. Perfectly. That's exactly right. How do you create that predictably in the workplace? How is it not just by accident or a happy occurrence? How do you do that? Lean isn't made to do that. Visuality is. Visuality is made to offload the missing information, offload that stress about not knowing and feeling that someone else is withholding the information. It just sets that aside and says, the workplace speaks. The workplace is my partner. Yeah. Hello, floor. Hello, bench. Hello, wall. Yeah. I've got friends. We've got a language (laughs) that talks to us instantly, which is amazing. Exactly so. Gwendolyn, I have two more questions for you. One is a stock standard question that you know which is what's been a recent insight that you've had? What's been a recent knowledge gain that you've had recently that you didn't have before? I wish I could say it in uh, two or three sentences, but I've been really blown away. I've been invited to uh, return to a company that I worked with and to help their trainers who are doing work that makes sense work on what we call their soft skills. And it, it is... It is so incredibly important. I just haven't up until now had the opportunity to isolate what those skills are related to to effective training and also to growing the trainer. And you you probably won't be surprised to hear that one of the the core skill for a trainer is to create flow, to create that connection between themselves and another person. And that is actually a skill. Some people have it naturally, but I've been blown away about with how powerful that is and what a real solution that is and how the training event, the material of work that makes sense, for example, which is what they're doing is, you know, I say this because I don't feel that it's my own. I feel as though it's just been a gift to me, but 
It's extraordinary. Operators love it. You know, I'm going to offer to uh, send to you, uh, see if you want to send it out to your listeners, an article that I wrote for the Shingo Prize on how do you convert respect in the training environment. And it will put more, um, more substance to this. But that's been a tremendous insight for me to see how the training the trainer, him or herself, is a vehicle for the change and that companies need to pay attention to that. Yeah. That if their yeah. trainers are not skilled in those soft-skilled areas, then they need to be because it will make them more effective. Yeah, It's yeah. not just the content. It's the process of delivering the content that will help people grow. Gwendolyn, I, yeah, and I'm, I'm hearing in that, Gwendolyn, a lot back to our conversation throughout this whole episode, like, you know, I'm hearing there, you need that foundation of trust, but then you need to help the learnee own it. You know, if you don't have a foundation of trust and you don't help them get their hands on it and own it, just mm-hmm. like you've led and, and mm-hmm. provided us all throughout this, your career knowledge on, you're not going to get the takeaway, are you? Like, you're not, if, if you can't enable your learnee to own it and you don't build that foundation of trust and connection, you don't get the same outcomes. Well, I will say that you will get you will get some benefit for sure, but you won't get a, a deep satisfaction and it won't be feeling that you have made your own contribution to to their contribution, that you're really working together. There's this wonderful feeling. It's such a contradiction. This is an eye-driven model in which we honor, not only honor the individual, what we say, show us what you've got. And yet what happens is that as a result is that these strong eyes who have had a chance to express, I'm going to read a poem to you. I'm looking for my book right now that they then say, yes, let's do it together. It just happens so naturally. Excuse me. I'm going to, this is, I'm pretty sure it was in this book. That'll be great. Gwendolyn. Yeah. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful poem by, uh, I, I think he was from Ireland. Uh, he was a priest, Gerard wow. Manley Hopkins. I wish I could read it with even an Australian accent. <laughs> but he was a priest, but his poems were there, as you'll see, are so lush. You could even say sensual. I mean, he really must have had an incredibly intense inner life because, and he writes about, in this particular poem, he writes about the. Um, unstoppability of self-expression and that we come to express ourselves even in the workplace. What does that look like in the workplace? What is self-expression? Am I going to start spouting poetry? What is it? Well, you don't know until that eye comes out and begins to invent amazing, amazing solutions to your problems. But this is called as Kingfishers Catch Fire and really I'm going to read it twice, though, if I may, because it doesn't even sound like English at some point. So he says this. Kingfishers are these fabulous birds that are multicolored and they're iridescent and they and they and they fish. They go into the water. And yeah, we've got them, them in up Australia. on Google. They're a beautiful bird. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So he says, as kingfishers catch fire, dragonflies draw flame. As tumble over rim and roundy well stones ring, like each tucked string tells, 
each hung bells bows swung finds tongue to fling out broad its name each mortal thing does one thing and the same deals out that being indoors each one dwells selves goes itself myself it speaks and spells crying what i do is me for that i came yeah nice huh? that's amazing it's that real it's that i isn't it but it's, it's that, that I, I within a connected environment it's that i yes crying what i do is me for that i came so what what's happening the revolution that's happening today in the workplace is the workplace has become a venue of self expression but what does that translate like when you have a list of parts that need to be made that is one of the great services that visuality provides it's also the whole improvement movement that that people are able to find a way to think and to change because improvement is a part of my job description yeah. so visuality is just my favorite way to do it but many companies they're not just capitalizing on this they're being rewarded they're being satisfied yeah. by being the owners of this it's very beautiful we are on the edge of a true revolution in our thinking and and in our spirit that i would never say the word spirit in a business conversation in 1984 i brought it into the conversation because some because a really great guy named charlie he was deeply deeply offended by operators his fellow operators who were trying to do good and i realized it was we were doing 5s and i just and 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 the group said hey we've made a terrible mistake with charlie we've really we've really hurt him and hurt his performance and we don't know what to do and i said i don't know what to do either this is a mess and i said but i do know one thing that i didn't know yesterday that the first s is not for sort through and sort out the first s is for spirit it is yeah. for the spirit inside of you and the spirit inside of charlie so you guys have to figure it out and that was the first time i ever said spirit in a in a business setting where a client was paying me money you know because it was a no no word but now it's 30 years later and we're in the midst of something quite inspiring and yeah i'm really hearing this conversation too gwendolyn that you know as a leader you need to think about what do i want and you've got to own it but you then got to help the people below you create their what do they want and own it that connects to what you want yes, and own it yes. Because yes. if you don't do that, you're being a dictator saying, this is what I want. This is the only thing. And you just do this. No, that's not what we're talking it's about. Creating we're talking, parody. You're, it's you're, creating yeah. parody. Yeah. Take that time to take that time to share what you want and share what you need, but then help the person, the leader or the team below to create their, what do they want? What do they need to own? That's right. That's and think right. about again, who do they need to share it with? Like the next shift. Yeah, that's, right. that's such that's a powerful right. conversation. Right. It's, a, it's a model. It's a model. Yeah. It, it really yeah. is a paradigm that it's a, what did, the word we used when we were just saying hi to each other? It's a hologram. It's a hologram yeah. where you enter it and all the parts inside are, are equal and reflective and they strengthen each other. Yeah. And we're moving towards that. And those organizations that uh, are at the beginning of that journey, they'll move very quickly. And that, and and I want to just I want to say again, visuality is the premier tool 
for transforming, quickly transforming the work culture. And you just can do it on the operator level, forget about supervisors and executives. And when the executives and supervisors see what operators are really capable of, they're languaging their devices. They say, I want one like that. I want to do that. I want to be like them. Yeah. And How you do can, I do it for myself? Yeah. And we you can we recognize it. it. Yeah. Nothing yeah. is more powerful than recognizing the truth. Who wants to hear somebody lecture on it? Right? Who wants to? No, shut up. No, go. And and again, that creates that ownership, doesn't it? Because it's then their way that they're doing it. Yes. Gwendolyn, it's it's been an amazing conversation. And I wonder if others will be able to track with us. We've really been running all over each other. No, we've we've achieved we've achieved the outcome. Like we've achieved the outcome of that that whole really let's bring those two together, you know, the operator and the executive. And we've definitely done that. I think we've, I'm so glad. You've, you've given us so much more insight too than previous episodes. So thank you. Gwendolyn, I know that you're writing a second edition of your book at the moment, and I know you're busy and you need to focus, but you made a very important comment before that if an organization is looking to take this journey, really they need to chat with a mentor or a, a sensei, someone who can help them, to really understand and give some initial insights. Now, in this world of Zoom and Microsoft Teams and everything that we've got, people yes. can connect with you so easily. Oh, yes, indeed. But how should they do that best? Because it's not like nowadays they need necessarily a local consultant or a local person because we're in this magical new world of being able to use visual language together <laughs> like you and I are with Zoom right now. But how yeah. can they reach out to you, Gwendolyn? Yes, so our website has a nice way. It's called Contact Us. And my, my email is very simple. It's Gwendolyn at visualworkplace.com. But this is the work that I do. This is what I love. And I will also say I'm very interested in others doing this work with me. I'm not talking about clients. I mean other consulting groups. And, and in fact, I just heard from uh, the group in Poland, and they said they, they said many, many nice things about how they're going to uh, they're going to become uh, a visual a visual center because they find it so useful. So I'm very interested in speaking to consulting groups that have a true interest in learning this. Oh, by the way, can I can I put in this plug? I have a legacy of products that I need to leave to a university. I really do. I've got methodologies and material. Sometimes I come across seven or eight things that I did 10 years ago that I even forgot that I had done them because the client needed it. So I am looking for a university, a college, a school of higher learning that will take my body of knowledge and create a practice or a chair around it. Because That's amazing. Uh, it needs to find a home and I'm too busy to look for one. So they can be in touch in, about that as well. Yeah. If they want, if, if companies want to talk about business and models and getting started, of course, that's my cup of tea. That comes easy. That's oh. awesome. Gwendolyn. So for our listeners, there's three elements of get in touch. There's the, anyone knows of a university looking to expand in this field and draw on your knowledge and work, which is amazing. Okay. Um, consulting firms out there who want to partner in. And also, of course, companies. So, Gwendolyn, thank you so much. And Gwendolyn, thank you as always for sharing your knowledge and helping us create a better future. Oh, wow. Thank you, Brad. I, I love what you're doing. And I, I think that uh, 
that it is helping many, many of us, many of us. Thank you so much. Thanks, Gwendolyn. Talk soon. Yes, talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye. There were two key takeaways for me from this episode. One, what do I need to know? What do I need to share? And two, own it and help others own it. The first key takeaway for me from the episode came from Gwendolyn's discussion on operator visuality, helping frontline team members ask the question, what do I need to know? And then what do I need to share? The question, what do I need to know, talks to creating a visual language of workplace. What information, tools, measures, challenges does an operator and supervisor need to know? How can they create this visuality so that the workplace talks to them instantly? The second question, what do I need to share, talks to an operator sharing with a supervisor so that they can help them. And to also to the next shift or the next team member who also uses the workspace, creating that collaboration, ownership, and ultimately a workplace that everyone owns. The second question of what do I need to share really talks to internal customer thinking, helping the next person in your process. The second key takeaway for me was the discussion on owning it and then helping others own it. This goes for strategic and cultural elements from senior leaders through middle management to frontline teams. Each leader needs to own their plan that aligns with their leader's plan and then help the team or leaders below them do the same. This takes a level of individuality of thinking about your own plan, but then also humility in helping others form their plan in a way that enables them to own it. This is an amazing outcome to create ownership, but also visuality when you think about how do you visualize these plans and bring the goals, purpose, vision to life in the workplace using the visual elements Gwendolyn spoke about. Thanks again for your time and knowledge, Gwendolyn. What an amazing show. Thanks for helping us create a better future. Talk soon.